You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Before we begin, let's bow our heads again in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, we recognize that there are many things that distract us in this world, many things that will pull our attention and our focus away from you. As we come here this morning, I ask that you would unplug our ears and open our eyes to hear your word and what it has to say to us this morning. Lord, no matter what our week has been like, we have the all-sufficient scriptures to get us through whatever challenges we face. And we have a clear command as disciples who follow after you to share and proclaim your word throughout all areas wherever you call us. We ask you to be with us now, we pray in your holy name. Amen. So many years ago, in my first go-round in college, a teacher said an interesting and, I think, kind of sarcastic comment as we started the semester. He said, I have some lesson aids for you, and they will help you in your understanding and application of what I'm about to teach you this semester. If you don't want help, then stick your fingers in your ears, and you won't get any help at all. And I thought, wow, what is this guy on to? (laughs) Telling me to stick my fingers in my ears. Well, you see, I think in our fast-paced world, there are many things plugging our ears from paying attention to what matters most. Ads everywhere call for us to pay attention to them, saying they're worthy of us looking at them, worthy of our attention Look at this, chase after that, you need this, you need that, whatever it might be. The world of social media has us clamoring after how many friends we can have on Facebook, how many followers we can have on Instagram and Twitter. And we quickly get identified with a certain group or type of people by what we follow and what we give our attention to. There is always a call for our attention, no matter where we are or what we are doing. If you're a parent or have a family or have a job, those things require your attention. They are certainly things that we need to pay attention to. I'm concerned that there are far too many things plugging our ears from what needs to be heard most. Some things are simply wasting our time and energy and pulling us away from what is most important. So as we look at our passage in a little bit, are we paying attention to the things that are of most importance? A quick review of where you've been in the Gospel of Mark. We remember that it starts with a quotation from the prophet Isaiah in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It begins with an attention-grabbing word. Behold, I send my messenger. In your follow-me study of Mark, so far there has been many healings and exciting events that drew attention from many people following Jesus and to see what he would do next. A few weeks ago, Pastor Quentin posed the question for us to consider, am I like the crowd only seeking his hand, only to receive? In Mark 3, 13 to 19, Jesus called to him those whom he desired his 12 disciples, his insiders, if you will, and they came to him to follow him. Already the outsiders are constantly questioning every move that Jesus makes. Even his family thinks 
He is out of his mind. We see that in Mark 3, 21. And they try to get him out of there. Around chapter 3, the opposition is really mounting. And Jesus makes a very interesting statement that identifies those who are true family members. He says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Those that are for him, those that do his will, pay attention to what he says, accept and obey him, they are the ones that are identified as true followers. True followers are those marked by not just hearing what he says, but by accepting it and doing something with it. The word here is used over 450 times in the Bible. And its close uh, friend, listen, is used nearly 200 times. So you get the idea that these are important words. They both come from the Greek word akuo. There are two Greek words meaning para, come alongside. It's a, a combination of the two words, come alongside. It's an active verb that requires a response to what is heard, a response of obedience. It's an identifier of genuine spiritual understanding. Here in Mark 4, this hear or listen word is used 12 times. In our passage that we'll look at this morning, Mark 4, 1 to 20, it's used eight times alone just in this passage. This isn't the first time we've heard a call to listen. You heard earlier the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, and it begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. These verses certainly imply a response of faith, obedience, and allegiance. James 1, 22 to 25 points out the vital difference between hearing the word and responding to it in obedience. Romans 10, 14 to 17 affirms the necessity of hearing the word in order to be saved. Listen is often used as an attention-getting device or a call to understand and respond in faith. We see an example of this later in Mark 9, 7, at the Transfiguration, where God the Father says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. In Mark 4, Jesus clearly wants to get our attention. You see, faithful obedience is shown to identify true believers. Those that obey the Son, Jesus wants faithful obedience to what he has said, and it is a way to identify those that truly follow him. Let's see how Mark describes how insiders pay attention. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark 4, verses 1 to 20. Mark 4, verses 1 to 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very loud crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is shown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. And when they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But the, one who, the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. To begin with, let's start with the context that he has laid out for us in the first couple of verses, verses one and two. He, being Jesus, began to teach by the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee in the region of Palestine. The text tells us it was a very large crowd and that he got into a boat. From chapter three, we know that it was such a large crowd, it was crushing him. So that's why he had to get into a boat. And it was such a large crowd, he didn't even have the opportunity to eat. The crowd was beside the sea on the land, and it would have been a natural amphitheater. Hmm, the setting that we're in, where his voice carries naturally over the people. Everyone would have clearly heard what he was saying. It was by now familiar territory for Mark's readers. In chapter 323, verse 23, we heard the word parable before. And we see it here again in chapter 4 with the added detail, teaching them many things in parables. I mentioned to you earlier, parable comes from two Greek words that mean to cast alongside. Para, alongside, and balo, to cast or throw. A parable is intended to draw the listener in and compel him to to make a personal decision about the truth he is hearing in his or her life. A careful study of the parables reveals that when Jesus used them, he used them to both hide the truth from outsiders and reveal it to insiders. Warren Wearsby states, the crowd did not judge the parables, the parables judged the crowd. Mark, I'm sure you have already noticed, is a fast-paced narrative. You get these quick slideshows all over. Here in Mark 4, he slows down a little and gives one of two detailed teaching accounts in the Gospel of Mark. The other is a discourse at the end time in chapter 13, which you'll get to, I'm sure, in a number of weeks. Mark 4 teaches us that there is a spiritual connection between the ear and the heart. We, we move on to the actual parable now in verses 3 to 9 and a firm call to hear and sow. As we begin, we see that there is likely a title. You probably have a title at the top top of your passage, and it probably says, the parable of the sower. If you look at the other passages in Matthew 13 and Luke 8, they have the same titles. You need to be reminded that these titles are not inspired. They are provided by man to give us a little bit of a snapshot what is in the passage. So let's see what does the passage actually tell us. Verse 3 begins with, Listen, some even have the word behold 
Two very firm words calling the readers and the listeners to attention. It's the same way the parable ends with the command to hear in verse 9. There is a strong sense that something important is about to be said. A sower went out to sow. Jesus tells a parable about farming, and what he is about to describe would be conditions they are very, very familiar with. Even from the seeding on the land, they would likely be able to see fields out in the distance. The only thing we know here about the sower is the sower went out to sow. The went out wording is the same wording if you go back just a page over in your Bible probably to Mark 1, 38 and 39. And this is what it says. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I might may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The very purpose that he came out was to preach the gospel. The only thing we hear about the sower is that he went out to sow. That's it, nothing more. I don't think this passage is really about the sower. But maybe, just maybe, it's about something else. But you won't know unless you pay attention. So let's keep on moving. Verse 4, And as he sowed, some fell along the path. This would be clear imagery in their mind as farmers flung a bag of seed over their shoulder and just spread seed everywhere The farmer's fields then were divided by little paths that everyone walked on and traveled on. This is the hard, compacted, and unreceptive soil that has been trampled down. It was so hard that the seed just bounced off and sat on the surface, and the birds came along and scooped it up. The sower just sowed. At our uh, home last summer... We have a deck off the back of our house, and the deck leads out to our driveway. We didn't have stairs on the one side of our deck, so we decided to add some stairs to our deck that would lead out to the driveway. For now, there's grass in between those stairs and the driveway. And I'm not really concerned at all about that grass at all. So for now, we're traveling back and forth and trampling down that grass. Why? Because hopefully next summer we'll add a concrete path in between those stairs in the driveway. So I have no concern about that pathway at all. No matter how much seed I put on there, how much seed falls to that ground, it just won't grab because the pathway is already hardened like concrete. Let's move on to verses 5 and 6 and see what other conditions we are met with, other conditions of soil. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. Without much depth of soil, nothing will last. Israel is a very rocky land, and as you look at the soil, they would have no idea whether it's shallow or deep or good soil. They would just spread the seed. Underneath some thin layers of soil is some very rocky ground. Likely it's limestone in Palestine. And you can see the seed grow in thin soil, and it usually grows quickly as the rock underneath has trapped the little bit of moisture that's there. The plant can't grow because it doesn't have deep roots. It just gets scorched when the sun hits it. The sower just sowed. In verse 7, we see another type of soil. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and, it, and choked it. The soil was crowded out by thorns. The thorns sucked water and the nourishment the seed needed to, for a healthy growth. The thorns grew with the seed, and the thorns choked out the seed. Don't miss the reminder at the end. And it yielded no grain. 
Every farmer that casts seed hopes and looks forward to a harvest at the end of the season. The sower just sowed. I like how the expositor's Bible commentary sums this up. It says, there is a logical progression in the development of the three types of seed as it fails at different stages. The first never germinates, the second sprouts but dies, the third becomes a plant but is choked by weeds. All fail to produce fruit. As we look at verse 8, finally, finally we see some good results. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. In ancient Israel, farmers would typically expect between a 6- to 8-fold return. So a 10-fold return would be an excellent, excellent harvest. When Jesus wants to get your attention, he states something extraordinary. The ones hearing this would have been stunned with a 30, 60, and 100-fold harvest. The sower just sowed. Before we move on, we need to make some important observations. One, the sower only sows. We know nothing about method or skill. Two, the seed that produces is the same that is choked out. And there are different responses of the soil. Responses to the seed. Verse 9, as he finishes off this parable, don't miss the strong reminder again. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here's an indicator that some can indeed hear, but not all understand it. Only those who have been given ears to hear can understand the truth he is explaining. To others, it's just another story. The meaning of the parable is about to be given only to those with hearts ready to receive it. The religious leaders and many others around we have heard about so far in Mark have already rejected Jesus. John MacArthur states, The judgment on them was that their hearts and ears were closed to his teachings. So they were not given any interpretation of the parables. Yet Jesus invites believers who are willing to listen. To them, he gave the explanation. We move on to a middle portion of this passage, verses 10 and 12, where there is some clear identity shown for insiders and outsiders. The first half, verse 10 and 11a, we are shown that insiders have the secret of hearing. Verse 10 says, When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. The crowds had now left. Only those who were his followers, those who were truly interested in knowing more, Jesus' inner circle, if you will, is defined as the chosen twelve from Mark 3, 14 to 19, and the others around him. The same wording from Mark 3, 34 is used, those around him, those who are following Jesus and do the will of God. Those that hear the words, accept them, and do something with them. Verse 11a and 12 some commentators say these are two of the verses that have been labeled as some of the most difficult in Scripture. Thanks, Pastor Quentin. I'm very eager to get into these. Thanks. It's funny when pastors go away on vacation, they often leave a task like that. I'm not sure how much clarity we'll give, but I'll just give you what we've gleaned from some uh, well-known um, commentators. In these verses, we see a clear distinction between the insiders and those outside. Jesus responds to their question, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. 
It's important to look at what is being said here. The word secret is mysterion in the Greek. It is only used here and in the similar or parallel accounts in Matthew 13 and Luke 8. We aren't talking about some something mysterious that is solvable by the human intellect or effort like some murder mystery show you might watch. The emphasis is on God giving understanding to those who previously did not have understanding. It is a God-given gift that has been, it is predetermined by God. It's not something achieved, it is a gift. Just as faith is a gift from God in Ephesians 1 and chapter 2 verses 8 to 9 that clearly lays that out. Salvation is a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. So too is the mystery of the kingdom given to those who believe The mystery of the kingdom is clearly a reference to the realm of salvation. Yes, God is sovereign over everyone and everything, but the kingdom of salvation only involves those who belong to him through saving faith. We see that in Romans 9, 16 to 18. The listener's response would separate those who believed from those who didn't. In the second half of these verses, verses 11b to 12, it's a direct quotation from Isaiah 6, 9, to t- 9 and 10. And we see here that outsiders don't hear and understand. But for those outside, everything is given in parables. We just saw that there are those inside that the mystery is revealed. Now there's a clear identity for those outside. To them, it is not revealed. Those in Mark 3 who were opposed to Jesus, the teachers of the law, and the others were so focused only on what they could get from him. From this point forward, everything is in parables. They didn't gather to Jesus and ask for clarification and understanding. They were so hard-hearted, they were not interested in anything but themselves in the way they wanted it to be. So God allowed them to be hardened to the point they couldn't understand and they couldn't no longer turn to him. We see clear examples of this in Romans 1, 18 to 32 where people are so set in their ways, God simply says, you want it your way? I'll give you over to your way. That's a perpetual longing to have it their own way, and God finally says, have it your own way. The first part of verse 11 identifies those that are chosen by God and identified as his. True disciples, as they follow him and listen to him, The second half identifies those outside getting everything in parables as an act of divine judgment on their persistent unbelief. Turn with me over to Matthew 13, verses 34 and 35. Matthew 13, verses 34 and 35. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Some hear and some won't. Let's quickly look at verse 12. It's a direct quote from Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. This quotation occurs six times in the New Testament, always in context of unbelief and hardness of heart. Always in context of unbelief and hardness of heart. In Isaiah's time, God sent his people to a prophet 
his people, his prophet to a people who wouldn't listen. So Isaiah was clearly told, like our passage here, some simply would not listen. He had the command to speak the message, even knowing that some, they will never respond. During Isaiah's ministry, the people repeatedly ignored the warnings until their consciences were so seared and their spiritual senses so dulled, they no longer had any ability to understand or respond. God allowed them to harden their hearts. Mark is unwilling to relax the tension here between God's sovereignty and human choice in the accomplishment of God's predetermined will. A question as I began looking at these two difficult verses, how hard do we have to be to get this way? Well, I don't have any answers for you on that. I don't know, and for me, myself, I don't want to find out. I just know the passage tells us there is a certain hardness that God allows us to get to, to get to be this way. I don't know, and I don't want to find out. We move on to the heart of this passage where everything is explained, where we see some soil not bearing and some bearing fruit in verses 13 to 20. Jesus comes back to focus on the disciples with questions about their understanding. This is foundational, he is saying. If you can't understand this, the rest of the parables are going to be very difficult. There is some foundational teaching that the disciples need to get and we as followers of Christ need to get. It's an important junction for all followers of Christ. The accounts in Matthew 13 and and Luke 8 omit this verse. It doesn't mean there's error here in the word. It simply shows for Mark there is great importance with this parable and the importance of hearing, accepting, and doing something with what we have heard. Failure to hear this parable means failure to understand parables in general. All the different types of soil we're about to look at, all hear. Not all will listen and accept. Only those who respond in faith and bear fruit. Verse 14 and 15. Now finally we get to the explanation of the parable. The sower sows the word. The message of the kingdom. No method, no skill, just sow the word. Followers of Christ must likewise sow the word. It's not about skill or experience or the success of the sower. Just be faithful to sow the word. Don't alter the word. Don't alter the seed. Just sow. According to Matthew 13, 19, the soil represents the hearts of those who hear the gospel shared with them. Only God, by the Holy Spirit, can plow the heart. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws him. We know that from John 6, 44 and John 6, 65 and many other passages we could look at. The importance of hearing is dominant, and it is the Lord that opens the ears. The first soil in verse 15, this is the hard, unreceptive heart. The first seed is taken immediately by Satan. These people are resistant and unresponsive. They dismiss the word without giving it any consideration at all. I'm sure we all can relate to people that we've come across in our lives like that. Remember the story earlier of the walkway at our house uh, going to our deck? 
I'm not at all concerned about the hard, compacted areas of grass. In a similar manner, those with hearts that aren't at all concerned about the condition of the stony heart. There are some that have no concern, no regard for what they hear. They simply have the stony heart. They don't have the heart of flesh yet. Some in Scripture are described as stiff necks so they can't hear. We see that in Jeremiah 19, 15. Turn with me over to John 8, 47. John 8, verse 47. John chapter 8, verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The evidence of not being of God is clear when they don't hear the word. God clearly has given some ears that will not hear. We see that in Romans 11, verses 7 to 8 as well. Hard as this may be for us, we have no clue who these people are. We just keep sowing. We have no idea the receptivity of the soil. We have no idea of the conditions of the heart. We just keep sowing. As we move on to verses 16 and 17, we see the shallow heart. These would be the ones who, despite immediate excitement or great emotional response, show their lack of genuine faith when the hard times come. They have no root underneath the shallow receptivity lies hardened rock. The heart is not receptive to the word in a lasting way. Notice, why do the trials and persecution come? They come on account of the word. Too often, coming to Christ is presented with all the fringe benefits, and we focus on the fact that there will be no more crying, no more pain and joy, and everything will be great. Revelation 21 tells us that. That is an absolute truth. And it gives us something to look forward to. We desperately need to have hope in this world for all the challenges we face. But we need to give the whole picture. So what does Scripture say about trials and persecution? Before we, don't, before we look at that, don't miss the word when. When persecution comes. Persecution is a stated certainty for being associated with Christ. We see that in Matthew 10 and Luke 21. Turn with me over to 2 Timothy 3 verses 12 to 17. 2 Timothy 3 verses 12 to 17. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which you are able to, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ, sounds like discipleship language to me, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. We have the promise that God will be with us in our affliction 
as we share in Christ's sufferings. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 to 7 remind us of that. Peter reminds us that we shouldn't be surprised when trials come. That's 1 Peter 4 verses 12 to 19. Enduring not only in the everyday things, but enduring through it all shows the tested genuineness of a true disciple, one who truly follows after Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 12, and Hebrews 3, verse 14. We must be careful that we do not encourage a shallow acceptance of the gospel by a shallow presentation of it. We must not hold out the blessings of salvation while hiding the costs of it. I'm convinced that the health, wealth, prosperity gospel does that today. It gives you all the blessings, but it doesn't show you any of the costs of following Christ. Yes, some we sow the seed to will have shallow temporary growth. And when the trials of life come, the text tells us immediately they fall away. Don't lose heart. Just keep sowing. Don't alter the seed. Keep sowing the true seed of the true gospel. Don't alter the message. Don't fade in the pressure. Just be a faithful sower. Verse 18 to 19 shows us that there are some that have a competing heart. This heart receives the word, but has too much love for the world, and it crowds out the word. There is no true repentance here. The weeds of life are given more attention than the word of life. This is a divided heart, like the heart of the girl to which the one man once proposed. He said, darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in the world. I want you to marry me. I'm not rich. I don't have a boat. I don't have a Ferrari like Johnny Brown, but I do love you with all of my heart. She thought for a minute and then replied, I love you with all my heart too, but tell me more about Johnny Brown. I think our hearts are often like that, always looking for the next best thing, not being satisfied with the all-sufficient Word of God. Many begin well, and it looked like they were believers, but their love for other things has choked out love for the Father. Think of Judas. He sold Jesus for 30 silver coins. How about Demas in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10? He fell in love with the world and deserted Timothy. A little later in Mark's gospel, when you get to chapter 10 in verses 17 to 22, you'll read of the rich young ruler who went away sad knowing he couldn't give up everything he had to follow Christ. The things he had possessed had truly possessed him. They had too much of a grip on his life. His possessions had taken up too much room in his heart. For a very familiar example of this, turn near the back of your Bibles to 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. 1 John 2 Verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God 
abides forever. Love of the world shows the love of the Father is not in them. What a strong indictment. And we also see in this verse very similar language. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Remember in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, it talked about the battle of desire. I'm not saying don't enjoy the things God has entrusted to you. Enjoy them to God's glory. But don't let them have priority. Don't let them crowd out the priority of your of the word in your life. Some ground proves to be unfruitful. Some are simply too hard to receive. Some receive and bail out when the trials of life come. And oh, they will come on account of the word for those that follow Christ. Some receive, but they are too concerned with the cares of this world. Finally, we get to the end of this passage and we see, finally, a fruitful or productive heart. Finally, we get to the good news. There are a few things to notice here as well. All three of the previous soils hear the word. This soil has the difference of accepting it and bearing fruit. Paul's word in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 is a great reminder here. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. It's a great reminder that as the word is accepted, it does the work in us. To accept it, we need to be affected by it. When God's word is received, it will produce fruit. John 15, 5 shows that bearing fruit is an identifier of a true of one who abides. It's certainty for those in Christ, those who follow him. It is an absolute certainty. Those that follow him will bear fruit. Matthew 13 reminds us that a tree is known by its fruit, bad fruit or good fruit. The good hearer welcomes the word immediately so that it can't be snatched by Satan. The good hearer welcomes it deeply so that it is not withered by persecution. The good hearer welcomes it exclusively so that other concerns do not strangle it. Not all true believers are equally as productive but genuine faith will show evidence of spiritual fruit. One who genuinely follows Christ bears fruit. Don't get hung up on the numbers here of 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. This is God's harvest in his mighty work through our faithful sowing. Would you be a faithful sower? When the gospel goes forth, Empowered by the Spirit of God, the results are supernatural. As we wrap up our parable this morning, it's a parable about the soils. The first three types of hearing show a quick, superficial hearing. In one ear and out the other, without effort or following Christ. Satan, trials, and persecution, and the cares of the world cause great challenges for those who carelessly listen and don't really accept the word. Their failure to hear confirms them as outsiders, and the word of God 
becomes fruitless to them. The fourth kind of hearing identifies them as insiders, disciples who truly follow me, as Jesus would say. And they are identified as those who hear, accept, and bear fruit. The Lord prepares the heart for receptivity. We have the responsibility to sow the word. The results of sowing will always vary according to the condition of the hearts and the hearers. Success or failure, thankfully, does not hinge on our skill as sowers. Some seed will fall on hard, shallow, or competing ground. There is nothing wrong with the all-sufficient seed, with the Word of God. Have we accepted the Word? The proof is in production of fruit. Is your life as a follower of Christ showing the evidence required as a true follower, a true hearer, or are you just here week in and week out, casually listening and never truly accepting the word and having it affecting your life? Finally, are you an insider or are you an outsider? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the all-sufficiency of your holy, mighty, powerful word. Thank you for the simplicity of the gospel, which reminds us we need to have ears to hear, and you are the one that opens the ears. When we come across a varying condition of soil, whether it's hard rocky, thorny, unreceptive, shallow, or competing hearts. Help us not to get discouraged. Help us to be faithful followers of you, faithful disciples who truly hear, accept, and produce fruit. This is only done by your mighty power. We pray that you would help us to be faithful followers And for those of us that have allowed things to crowd out the word in our lives, I pray that you would give us the strength to weed out and to pull out those things that are choking out the good word in our life. It is sufficient. It is powerful. It is enough. Help us to faithfully sow. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.